Hi, it's Emma. And as a quick introduction, I lead the researcher development and culture team at the University of Leeds. My podcast episodes focus on areas of research leadership and research culture. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Claire Barker and Professor Amelia DeFalco from the University of Leeds. And we're going to be talking about a project that they're working on that really puts the end users of the research at the core of the project and introduces us to a non-hierarchical leadership model. So do you just want to say hello? Hello. Hello. Brilliant. Thank you. So we're here today to talk about the Living Bodies Objects Project, which is a three-year project funded by the Wellcome Trust, and it's designed to test and extend the boundaries of medical humanities research. Now, that sounds great, but actually, for our listeners, could you just give us a brief summary of the project and its aims? Yeah, of course. So... um... This project is funded by a Welcome Research Development Award, and these awards are quite unusual awards because they're about establishing um, the foundations for work that's going to take risks and shape the future directions of research um, before research questions are developed. So it's, it's, it's a project that's really about the stages before the research um, ideas take shape. Um, so our project is focused on developing um, a medical humanities lab um, and, and the lab itself is the project. The project is about the development of the lab um, and what that means. Um, so what might a medical humanities lab space look like? How might it work on a daily basis? What kind of research might we produce um, in this idea of the lab? We're working with um, creative partners, an organisation called Immersive Networks, who are experts um, in all kinds of um, technologies and who um, specialize in um, uh, specialize in um, kind of translating complex ideas into accessible um, you know formats using technology so we're working along with them and we're in, we've, we're working with four four other partner organizations who are each going to join us for a six-month residency period in the lab and over the course of each residency, we're developing our ideas and research questions for the work that we're doing with each organisation. Um, so it's unusual in that Wellcome's less interested in us producing particular outputs than they are in us exploring how we might conduct our research. Um, so we're experimenting with the idea of the lab and how research might take place within the lab. Um, and there's a big emphasis on equality and inclusion and on the career development of everyone involved in the project. Um, so we're thinking throughout the projects, you know, as we develop the lab, we're thinking about how we might develop a more inclusive and collaborative research culture and make our lab space part of that research culture. Um, our, our four partner organisations all serve communities um, that are disability communities or communities who experience health inequalities. Um, and so we've been thinking a lot about creating safe and in inclusive spaces for research closing the gap between researchers and those people who are researched or the subjects of research. Um, and we're, we're thinking about the history of the, lab, of the lab as a space that might not be inclusive, indeed where, you know, um, spaces that have done harm to people's um, health and bodies as well. Um, so it's a project that is very exploratory, um, the space for us to um, take risks and possibly make mistakes. Um, and, and it's a real privilege to be able to work on a project where we get to explore how research is done. So one of the interesting things about this, and you've just touched on it, is that exploratory nature. And I know you've taken um, the approach of a non-hierarchical model of leadership 
Can you just explain what that looks like um, and why you felt that was important for this type of project? Thanks, Emma. So um, the, the, what it looks like is that we have five co-PIs rather than a PI and um, one PI and multiple co-Is. And uh, what that means though in practice has proved more, uh, sometimes trickier than we expected, but we have kind of found our way through trial and error. And the, the leadership, I guess, is, is uh, we use a rolling, kind of roll, a rolling model of leadership. So because the project is organized around a series of residencies, um, different team members are, have different levels of responsibility. Um, as we move between residencies. So we have um, a kind of uh, one leader assigned to particular residencies and then it will shift. There's also um, the, the residencies are the focal point for the research, but there, as we'll discuss, um, research culture is paramount and everything that we do is kind of examining and, and being examining research color and be culture rather and being really um, focused about how we do what we do and why. So there are different leads, you know, on different aspects of the project. Um, as Claire was discussing, the project is really about exploring how we do the research that we do and why we do it and not taking any Thing for granted. So even the very structure of the project we wanted to examine and not take for granted, for example, that you would have a sole leader who was responsible for the duration, etc. And a big part of the project is, is working towards alternative structures that as much as possible, if not dismantled, then at least uh, are self-consciously engaging with power and um, the way that it can register throughout a project. So part of that is, you know, seeking this a more devolved power structure that comes with its challenges because uh, obviously in a more conventional project, there is a clear leader, not on every aspect, but one person that is ultimately responsible. And so, you know, we have to spend a lot more time uh, clarifying roles and responsibilities on a regular basis. And so that's something that we've come to realize and that we are doing on a regular basis. And big part of the project has been realizing how much time uh, it takes to do things differently because the models aren't there and we have to develop them. So uh, it, it's a slow process, but um, overall it's quite a fruitful process. Yeah, I'd just like to add to that that. Um... We're also thinking about um, the kind of structures and institutional support for research as well on the project and how we can integrate our work kind of more thoroughly into that. So one of our co-principal um, investigators is Faye Robinson, who's a university head of research development. And, and by having Faye as, as a, a researcher on the project and not just somebody who supports the you know, the process of research. Um, it means that we can connect up with the university research initiatives and research culture work and 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 try, you know, try and find all the ways that we can to be integrated in, in what's happening in the in the wider culture of research as well. 
Um, and I think I think one of the things that we're doing also is um, um, reflecting a lot on what we're doing and on, on the processes that we're in, involved in and what works well and what doesn't. Um, so so that we know so that we're kind of developing a best sense of what works well and, and what what doesn't work well. And one one of the benefits I think of having a non hierarchical leadership man, um, model is that we, we can think about people's um kind of personal aspirations and career development in a more holistic way so we can you know people can say well I'm really interested in this aspect of the project so could I take a lead on this activity or you know we want to spend some time working together on this so can we you know manage our um, workloads and and our responsibilities for this next period you know around allowing people to do some of the things that they want to do so it does create more flexibility in that way for people to um, be involved in and to lead on the things that they they most want to work on um, although it does take like Amelia, Amelia said a lot more time um, to work all that out and to work out how what how we're going to do what we're doing and how everybody fits together at any any point in time. Uh, another area that I've picked out that I was really keen to explore is around the focus that you have on equity diversity and inclusion so can you tell us a bit more about that? The equality diversity and inclusion um our approach has been kind of to has been to investigate those uh concepts as much as employ them so as i was saying the 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 technique we have with edi is to investigate the terms as as rather than simply employ them in any straightforward way so a lot of what we're doing is basically employing our kind of employing critique as a method to um, develop a model of working that we tend we understand as being quote beyond EDI and to develop um, approaches that actually um, investigate what as we talked about before non-hierarchical um, ways of working might be that are fundamentally based on accessibility and care and accountability, as we'll discuss, we can discuss later, as we've discovered, those are our key project values. And so towards that aim, we've been thinking about how we do, as I keep, I keep stressing that, because that's really, to me, what the project is largely about, is kind of investigating the how of research. Um, as much as we're doing research, we're reflecting on the processes that go into, they're often taken for granted and, and, and to um, make explicit some of the things that tend to just go by as, as, as a given. And so as part of that process, we've been developing different um, documents that guide our research. And so our key documents are are the um, ways of working that we've developed over the course of the project. And we use that as a guide to work in ways that we believe are ethically informed and um, express a degree of accountability and care towards one another, the team itself, and towards our partners and our participants of any kind. And um, part of that is kind of critiquing conventional approaches to EDI and areas that they might fall short or areas where they might be co-opted by kind of institutional frameworks, et cetera, and, and used in 
tokenistic or, or superficial ways. And so as with everything we have done, it takes a lot of time because it means that we have to talk things through, work them through and decide really where our priorities lie in a way that um, isn't taking anything for granted. And, and um, so we've developed, as I mentioned, the ways of working as well as a project glossary, which has been a really key tool because that allows us to do that work I mentioned about um, um, investigating key concepts that get, you know, get tossed around all the time in EDI conversations, you know, whether they're the, those key terms of equality, diversity, inclusion, but other and related terms. And, and you know, how do we understand those? What do they really mean um, in, in practice? And are they basically doing the work that we want them to do? And might there be other terms that we might, that we find to be um, more useful and more, and a more accurate reflection of our ethical commitments um, to one another and I think it's also worth um, mentioning that you know this is a medical humanities project and several of us on the team have a background in disability studies so one of our starting points when thinking about equality and inclusion was a certain set of concerns about academic research culture in relation to health and relation to disability as well so you know we all know that research culture can produce stress and anxiety um, you know a culture of overwork often isolation, things like that. Um, Welcome um, produced a report on research culture um, a little while ago that confirmed all these things as well. So there's the actual kind of health and well-being impacts of doing research and we're interested in alternative ways of conducting research that might actively try to resist that kind of research culture that's based around you know productivity, overwork, stress, all these kind of things, Com you know competition that kind of um, generates um, these health effects. Um, we're also very aware of the ways in which academia demands certain kinds of able-bodiedness and able-mindedness as well. You know, the way that um, academic work privileges certain qualities, you know, things like um, independent rationality, you know, productivity, coherence, you know, that might not always be compatible um, with um, disabled people's support needs or energy levels or communication styles or cognitive processes and, you know, things like that. So what gets celebrated as excellent research often demands certain kinds of prowess that are not accessible to everyone all of the time and that can perpetuate those problematic standards like overwork being kind of accepted as a norm. Um, so we're interested in how re our research how we might find strategies um, to centralize things that are important within disability studies. So ideas of care, like Amelia said, um, embodiment, you know, thinking of ourselves and our partners as people with bodies and minds that have, you know, needs and energy levels and things, vulnerability, um, alternative temporalities that might include things like pausing or pacing or resting as an integral part of how we manage our energy across the project. Know, how we look after each other, um, how we avoid burnout and things like that. So, so we're thinking about EDI with a real emphasis on health, um, although not limited to health. Um, and so thinking more critically about, you know, the, the embodied processes of, of doing research, um, as well as, you know, the actual research that we're doing. Brilliant. Thank you. And Claire mentioned there the Welcome Trust study. So we will drop a link into 
to the show notes uh, for this episode. I just want to take you back to um, the ways of working agreement and the project glossary because they sound really interesting. But how does it work in practice and how do you even start to create these? Yeah, it was quite difficult, actually, to think about how you approach, you know, how you approach starting this kind of work. You know, when we wrote the application for the funding, we we had a list of things that we promised that we would do. You know, we said we would create a safer spaces agreement. We said that we think about accessibility and the events that we put on and the you know things that we produce. Um, you know, there, was, there were certain kind of things we, we started from. So we started looking at um, good practice and we looked at a lot of safer spaces agreements that other project teams and labs had developed, other organisations, you know, we looked at other labs and their kind of, you know, EDI work, Um, a a real influence was the Clear Lab, which is based in Canada and has wonderful uh, lab book that's available online and videos about how they do certain things and they're really committed to um, anti-colonial and feminist um, work and they've got some brilliant strategies and so we've we've experimented with some good practice that we've found in other spaces as well but our ways of working agreement is kind of it's developed gradually over time we've had regular meetings where we've discussed it and thought about you know what is emerging as being important to this project and and we've we've recently put the first kind of public facing version of this on our website Um, But we're fully expecting it's going to change again over time. So it's very much a living document. It's something that is a work in progress. We're developing as we go along and and as we learn more on the project. It's got a series of principles and commitments um, that, you know, that are in some ways aspirational. We don't always manage to achieve everything that we've put into our ways of working agreement, but we're using it as a guide and that's what we're aiming for. You know, so things like accessibility comes first. You know, we create safe spaces, we work with care, these kind of commitments, um, commitments to understanding our own and each other's kind of workloads and, and thinking, you know, with care about how we, we manage that, how we interact with each other and with our partners. You know, the, the ways of working agreement, in some ways, it's the tip of the iceberg of the work that we've done because it kind of states the principle as own commitments, but we've also thought about strategies for developing those things. So you know, we've thought very carefully about, for example, how we welcome people into our lab space, um, how we make feel, people feel comfortable in research spaces if they're not, you know, professional researchers, um, how we address um, power relationships in the encounters that we have with people we're working with on the project, that kind of thing. Um, so we've been experimenting with all these different kinds of strategies. We've been thinking about different modes of facilitation, for example, I mean, and thinking about thinking about the ways that we use our space as well. I think one of the things that's been interesting about the project is that we had started off with the idea of the lab as a space. And we do have a physical space for the lab. It's, you know, we've got some rooms in the health sciences library and we've got and our um, creative partners are developing a virtual lab space as well. And again, we're thinking about accessibility, uh, making the virtual space kind of, you know, accessible to a whole range of different kinds of people you know, who may may not be academic in any kind of way, um, thinking about what will make these spaces attractive and make people, um, you know, help people to become engaged and be interested in the work that we're doing. But over time, we've kind of realised that our lab has to be very flexible and mobile. Sometimes it, it means going into work in other people's spaces when that's what's most comfortable and familiar to them. So, you know, that that kind of thing. So, um, so yeah, the ways of working agreement is kind of 
an accumulation of this learning across the project really and the kind of principles and commitments that come out of that and alongside it we're thinking about the strategies and ways of implementing it and the glossary started off really as a way of it started off as a space of organizing reading that we were doing you know we were doing a lot of reading around EDI kind of work and kind of started to put together this list of terms and definitions and concepts and things that we might find useful in the project and it's really become quite central to what we do and it's become something that's kind of a space for dialogue and reflection and all kinds of things it's a space where we share the reading that we've been doing so we have you know quotations and definitions and and things that from the academic reading that we've been doing in there we have examples of good practice that we've found from other um, projects and other organizations we and then we have you know people adding their own reflections on oh we did something in the lab last week and this really made me think about this concept and this is you know you know how how it's making me think about it so so it's a space for sharing our thoughts really deepening our understanding of relevant concepts and approaches you know there's you know it's a space for reflection provocation so so we've got a version of this on our website as well and that's the kind of the first public version of it but we also have a longer much messier version that we're still kind of working with and we'll update it as we go along as well and I think part of the point of it really is that it's messy and unfinished a space for you know following thought processes making connections between things um kind of engaging in dialogue with each other and with um you know academic and non-academic work around EDI concepts as we go um yeah it's a kind of space for thought and thought and development of ideas really and it's proved to be really useful so far thank you and again we will drop all of the links to the clear lab and also to your website so people can find this glossary in whatever format it's currently in uh, into the show notes I think what's coming through from this is not only the amount of work and the time that it takes but it's actually based on your values as a team and for the project so can you tell us a little bit more about the values that you share within this work so we've identified three key values is that guide the project and these but these have emerged through the work um, and this was something that was a bit difficult starting out you know feeling like it's it was this task that we had had waiting for us and yet we couldn't quite get to you know we we didn't feel ready to to really um, choose the values that were guiding us and so it is only really at the midpoint of the project which is really where we are now that we've come to understand and uh, the, the the project values and so we've recently identified those I think I did mention them earlier as being um, uh, care creativity and accountability and and I think we had some insecurity early on you know about the fact that we hadn't chosen them but now we we've discussed the fact that in fact, we had to do the work and, and discover them by doing. And that's been a lot of what this project is about is a kind of discovery via doing. Um, well, via doing and reflecting on that. And so, so the practices themselves, you know, um, working with partners, um, you know, engaging in activities and workshops, and then 
And then perhaps most importantly, reflecting on what's happened. And that's been built into every activity we, we do is that process of reflection and sometimes critique and thinking about what happened and why, what we, you know, was particularly generative or constructive, but also what might have been done better. And so um, this thinking, this process really of working has shown us that, um, you know, the way that these values have emerged from and for the work we do. And care has been one that we've, was relatively straightforward actually in selecting because it's something we've talked about a lot throughout and, and also kind of what we mean by care. In fact, um, you know, in the earliest days when we had our project launch, one of the, uh, I guess you might say the exhibits of that launch was something called Objects of Care, where we, we kind of uh, uh, brought together a selection of seemingly unrelated objects and kind of investigated how and why they might connect to care and through a variety of perspectives. And, the thing about um, care is that, you know, we recognize that it's it, it's a very, as we said in our write-up, it's a, quite a capacious term, which is really productive for us and presents all kinds of wonderful possibilities, but it also is a, a very frequently um, misused or word um, that can actually uh, be used to conceal um, harmful behavior. So it, it does require a degree of vigilance and, and reflection and thinking about how we're using it and whether um, we are actually living up to, to the idea of care that we have, which as, as um, you can read all about on our website, because we go into a fairly lengthy discussion of what we mean by care and whose model of care um, we understand as being the most relevant to what we do. And, and for us, it has to do with the kind of ideas of mutual thriving, and it's really connected to a, a high degree of responsibility and obligation and, um, and critique. The creativity uh, value, um, we understand, like care, we understand creativity to be, you know, incredibly incredibly wide ranging and, and for us, um, criticality is part of creativity. And that's been something that's been, um, as I mentioned, key to everything we do because it's that process of reflection and critique and making sure that um, we always are asking why we're doing things and, um, the way, and how we're doing them and why we've chosen the, the techniques we have. So again, this is all kind of pointing to the, to the fact that um, doing this kind of care-based and what we often find to be careful research requires a tremendous resources, especially uh, a lot of time, because it means making time to have sometimes difficult conversations, to really make time for reflection, to make time to examine the processes, not just simply plunge into things, which is as many as we all know, like tends to be often the working method that many of us employ by necessity because we just have so little time because our time is is um, directed towards our many many other professional responsibilities. And so, part of what we want to do here is slow things down and make sure that we're um, saving, making space for that kind of investigation. However, of course, that proves to be an ongoing challenge. 
And then um, accountability, um, the value of accountability is really about this kind of beholdenness. And again, that has been inspired partly by the Clear Lab book. Um, and it, it speaks to our kind of ongoing commitment to everyone that is potentially, that we see to be potentially touched by our research and to be aware of that and to constantly ask why we're doing the research we're doing, who is potentially um, affected by that research and to be aware of the commitments that we have and, and the obligations that come with those commitments. And so asking, you know, who's touched by our work, what, how it might touch them, is there a potential for harm? That's one of the things we always are very conscious to to identify and um, how we might mitigate that, or perhaps we need to rethink the practice or rethink the activity itself. Thank you. So obviously this is the Research Culture Uncovered podcast, and I feel I have to ask, how do you think this project is going to improve research culture? I think, um, I mean, what we're hoping for the project is that the resources that we produce, um, that the resources that we produce will provide other researchers um, um, with ideas and strategies for thinking about some of the things that we've been thinking about in research as well. Like I say, we've learned a lot from um, the resources produced by other um, other labs and other research groups. Um, and we, we see our um, equality and inclusion documents, um, which at the moment includes the ways of working agreement and the glossary as one of the major outputs of the project. Um, and so we want to make sure that, you know, we can share them on our website, but also in presentations and in the conversations that we're having with other research groups, with Welcome, um, with the universities, um, you know, research culture team, etc. Um, so hopefully you know, those resources will, will prove to be useful for, for other researchers. I think... Um, our approach and the way that we're kind of thinking about how to centralize um, ideas of health, well-being, um, healthy working practices, um, you know, safe spaces, engagement with our partners in ways that are, you know, fully collaborative and kind of cognizant of the particular needs, um, you know, of those organizations, both, you know, as, as organizations, but also as people, um, people with bodies and people with minds and, and things, and, you know, hopefully, you know, that will be useful in thinking about how research might be actually centered around that, that kind of work rather than, you know, rather than trying to work towards good practice, despite all the pressures of research culture and demand for outputs and, um, and all those kind of things. Um, so, you know, I think there might be some, some outcomes of the project that, you know, are, are around, um strategies for thinking about research differently you know how how that fits into the institutional frameworks and the funding frameworks and everything is a really interesting question but how how you can make research projects you know that that perform all the things that they're required to perform while still kind of maintaining a focus on um health and well-being care and accountability etc i think that's one of the things that we're hoping um to do um, so yeah, I think it's it's a work in progress. We're at the stage where we're beginning to share what we're doing now, and you know we want to be in continued dialogue, basically, um, you know, with the university, with other research groups about about research culture issues, and, and yeah, just make just thinking thinking reflectively about how we do research while doing research and using that as a model 
um, for how re future research might develop. I think we'll all be watching. We have Claire and Amelia with us, but we are also very aware that this is a small part of the team and this involves many other members and also the extensive work that you do with your partners. How does that benefit the project and how has that actually translated into your ideas? Yeah, I, I mean, I think what's been really interesting in working with our partners is exploring different ways of working. And, and sometimes the, the really interesting learning has come from the points of tension between them um, or the points where we've had to think really hard about how we can still employ, you know, our, the ways of working that we want to do in ways that kind of, you know, work for everybody. So, for example, our first residency was with Interplay Theatre, which is a sensory theatre company that does a lot of work with um, special schools in Leeds and produces theatre performances um, for young people with learning disabilities and physical disabilities. And, and working with Interplay was really interesting in learning about the creative process that they go through. So we were thinking about things like, you know, creating safe spaces and and things like that. And, and, and whereas, in, you know, in the practice of theatre making, sometimes it's really valuable to make people feel a bit uncomfortable um, or to put actors in a surprising um, position, you know, to, and, and to see where what they come up with, and that's where the creativity comes from. So there were certain things like that where we were thinking about, oh, like how do we how do we negotiate this um, in our work with immersive networks, our creative partners? You know, we were thinking about the, you know, the kind of time processes of, of research, and we, you know, trying to think how do we work in healthy and humane ways that are not, you know producing overwork or stress and things like that but, but also you know when you're working creatively there's often periods of really intense immersion in work and that's what you know before a deadline or whatever and that's what generates the really kind of um creative um you know thinking and you know people coming together and um the real excitement of the project so how do you how do you balance those things and how do you make them you know how do you make them work you know the the kind of things that we've been thinking about often involve a lot of slowing down thinking planning thinking ahead and um, whereas often creative practice involves you know a lot more spontaneity than that so how do you kind of reconcile those things and that's what we've been talking about and trying to think about and I think one of the things that was interesting was when we were with Interplay we were thinking about what is our output going to be and we've produced um, a kind of theatre performance that, that Interplay um, can take into schools but we were also thinking at one point about should we do some kind of you know, academic showcase version of this, you know, should we do some kind of thing at the university as well to show the work that we've been doing? And we decided, no, let's just focus on the one thing. And then, you know, so we're not spreading ourselves too thin or, you know, you know, you know, we're trying to conserve our energy and focus on the one thing that we want to do rather than trying to do too much so that we can still work in those ways that um, support, you know, you know, creativity and immersion and things. Um, so yeah, sometimes deciding not to do too much or not to do extra things is a way of kind of doing the things in the ways that work well for everybody. Brilliant, thank you very much. And unfortunately, we are now out of time. We have heard so much fantastic uh, work that's going on, but also the as you said, the values that are coming through this, the approaches that you're taking. We will make sure that every link that you've said is available to people. And obviously, there's a lot more information that they can get directly from you and your websites. So thank you very much for joining us today. And I will just give you the last mic to say goodbye.
Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Thanks, Emma. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to the Research Culture Uncovered podcast. Please subscribe so you never miss out on our brand new episodes. And if you're enjoying the discussions, give us some love by dropping a five-star rating and written review as it helps other research culturists find us. And please share with a friend and show them how to subscribe. Thanks for listening and here's to you and your research culture.